Father, thank you for life and life more abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that that tonight, as we continue to, to seek you and to, to study through Colossians, that our understanding of you gets deeper and deeper every day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for thank you for you, Lord. Thank you for your presence in our lives, for your power, your authority, and your love for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we start out talking about first first Colossians. Yes, yes, first Colossians. In case Paul ever decides to write second Colossians, we will have first Colossians down cold. But we started there. We got through exactly 14 verses, which I think is an all-time low for us. I think that's the, the slowest we've ever gone through anything. So picking up with verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God has was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now we talked about that this weekend. We talked about uh, Christ being in the beginning um, when we're talking about the Trinity that the that Jesus existed from the beginning it's really important it's really important that Paul uh, establishes right away at the beginning of this letter who Christ is that's what this letter is mainly about who is Christ because of the heresies that were going around what was the heresies again Nope, narcissism is you really like yourself. Gnosticism. <laughs> I'm sure there was some narcissism going on also. Gnosticism and other uh, other new agey kind of thing. You know, a mixture of a whole bunch of different uh, belief systems and and pieces of this religion and pieces of that religion, even some Judaism and so on and so forth. But it all boils down to who is Christ. It really in the whole Bible. I mean, now, you know, next, this coming Sunday when we teach, uh, when I'm teaching on uh, doctrine, we're going to be talking about Christ. We've talked about the Bible, we've talked about the Father, now we're going to talk about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, we'll find out, was all over the Old Testament. We're going to see a whole bunch of examples where he existed in the Old Testament. He even spoke in the New Testament. He did things in the in the Old Testament. He wasn't called Jesus, but he was called by enough of a descriptive names that easily we can see that it's Jesus Christ. But the most important thing is that Jesus is God. And right here in Colossians, uh, Paul establishes that Christ is in Christ was the fullness. And he says, in the fullness he dwelled in bodily form. 
That's important because the Gnostics believe what? Remember what the Gnostics believe? They believe that that God is spirit and that uh, flesh is evil. And so there's no way that God could exist in a bodily form. Well, Paul refutes that right up front. He says, Christ was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't mince his words at all. So, he starts out thanking God, the Father, for the plan of redemption, Colossians 1.12. He couldn't do that without also thanking the Son, who is the, redre- the Redeemer. Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the one, it's his, it's his blood. Now, from Sunday Sermon, and in talking about Colossians, and I asked the question, why is it such a big, big deal that he came in bodily form? Do you remember? What? Because if he... You can go ahead and pull that. Don't, don't close it all the way yet, but just... If, if Jesus wasn't God, then the sacrifice would be for nothing. Right. And if he didn't come in bodily form, then there wasn't a sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament it said that for there to be forgiveness of sin, there had to be spilling of blood. When, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God, or they, they put on fig leaves to try to cover up their nakedness. God did what? He made clothes for them out of the skins, but he killed an animal. Why? Because that killing of that animal was the first sacrifice. That, 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 that spilling of that blood, that innocent blood. Okay, why is that? Why, why, does it, why does there have to be spilling of innocent blood to forgive sins? We're going to talk a lot about that when we talk about redemption, when we talk about the sacrifice uh, in a couple of months. Um, because blood is priceless. It is the life of that thing, whatever it is, it is it, the life blood. I mean, obviously, is the, the the phrase used, but it's if without blood you don't live. Nobody lives without blood. Nothing lives without without the the uh, mammals anyway, uh, and and most fish and most of it. There's a few amoebas and some germs and stuff that, and those things need to die too. In Jesus, not the amoebas, the germs. In Jesus' name, but but. It is required. Why? Because there's something about it that's bigger than us, bigger than we, you know, than that, you know, God said this is what it's what it takes. Okay, then that's what it takes. So Christ had to come and to be a sacrifice, his blood had to be spilled. I mean that just sounds barbaric. I mean that sounds terrible, but if that's the only way, then that's the only way. And God knows things that we don't know. He does he understands things we don't understand. And so it's bigger than just our, how we feel about it. I had a friend of mine one time uh, when I was witnessing to him, and he never, as far as I know, he's still not saved, and he, he didn't, at that time, he, he wasn't in the mood to it, to get, to get saved. But I was telling him about the Lord, I was, I was witnessing to him, and he goes, I don't want anything to do with that bloody religion. I don't believe that you have to, I don't believe that you have to, have, you know, blood is, has to be sacrificed. That's just crazy. And my answer to him was, does it really matter what you think? If, if truth is that blood has to be sacrificed, then that's what it is. It isn't up to opinion. It's not up to a vote as to how sins are forgiven. God said this is the way it is. So Jesus had to come in bodily form. He had to have blood 
Remember when uh, he came and he showed himself to the disciples after he uh, after he rose from the dead? He says, "Touch me, feel me. I have bone. I have flesh." You know, he wasn't a spirit. They thought he was. They were freaked. You know, they thought it was it was the spirit of Jesus. But he says, "No." He says, "He says, you know, you can touch me. You can feel me. Spirits don't have uh, bone and flesh." He was real. Major standpoint, and I know I'm saying it over and over and over again, talking about in this Colossians, and I'm going to continue, but this is the center point. This is the most important thing about Colossians is Jesus came in bodily form. And today, there's still uh, people who will try to talk you out of believing that Jesus came in the flesh. They, they, they will say, the New Age people will say, oh, he was a spirit guide. No, he was a man. He was a man in whom the fullness of God dwelt. He was fully God, but at the same time, he was fully man. All right. I have lots of notes here. I'm just trying to make sure not to do too much of it. The word translated image, so it says he was the image of the invisible God. That word image is the word icon, uh, expressed two ideas. It was a likeness, so it was like an image of a coin or a reflection in a mirror, and manifestation, which is the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. Um, I actually ran across something today as I was studying, uh, not for this, but studying for not this week's sermon, but the next week's sermon, that everything there is to know about God, we can find out in Jesus. But we have to, but it's a mystery. But it's a mystery that we have to uh, have to unveil, that we have to, to seek after. God said, if you seek for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. And so as we seek Jesus, we will learn more and more and more and more about the Father. Now, why doesn't he just tell us everything all at once? We can't handle it. We can't, ha- we can't handle that much knowledge and, uh, and wisdom and, and power. But he can reveal it to us piece by piece by piece. And it can be found through Jesus. Actually, it's the only way we can find it. It's the only way that we understand God is through knowing Jesus. This is kind of alluding to what you're talking about, about the whole Bible, but um, it's very important that we actually have that clarified that if you've seen Jesus, you see the Father, and that Jesus is the express image of the Father, and that this is a good representation. In fact, it's the perfect representation of what God is like. Because... You can see how you can get the really wrong impression just from what they had in the Old Testament. You can mm-hmm. get a, I mean, we can get an idea of what God is like as angry and vengeful and just all sorts of extreme in in whatever presupposed um, viewpoint we want to take. And if that doesn't line up with what we see Jesus um, interacting with the people when he was on earth. If, we don't, if it doesn't reconcile 
those two together, it, it can't be the right interpretation. And so it doesn't mean we understand all of what some of the stuff in the Old Testament necessarily how that fits, but we can categorically reject that God is always angry and looking mm -hmm. to punish and all this stuff because we can see how Jesus actually interacted with actual people when he was in bodily form. Mm -hmm. and, and so the interaction with the woman at the well or the interaction with the Pharisees or the interaction with his disciples, I mean, these are, these are contextual ways for us to see well, what does that mean? What, what does being God look like in this setting? And you can see a very um, enlightened context of that. It's not just a, well, I've read his resume, and mm -hmm. so that means it must look like this in this setting. Well, that, that we can go all sorts of wrong directions with that. But we have played out over a period of <coughs> sequential time, Jesus interacting with people, and it shows... Well, this is what it looks like. At least in this scenario, this is what it looks like. And yep. so I think we're given enough record of Jesus walking on earth that we got lots of different kinds of scenarios where we can get a pretty good picture of his character through, through, through that. And through every one of those interactions, whenever, whenever people were truly seeking him and when they were, when they were truly humble, he was always loving, always, always had, was full of grace, always. It's when they were full of themselves and proud and arrogant and everything else, then he resisted them. And, uh, and even in the ways that he was <coughs> correcting people that were wrong, he was still... I mean, it's like the words probably cut through a whole bunch of... Everybody's afraid to say what, what, what is the truth, but like the one that comes to mind is the situation where he was invited to dinner and he goes right past the hand-washing thing. He doesn't go through all the ritualistic things and... And he speaks the, the truth very plainly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he talks about what they're wrong about, but he doesn't do it in a way that makes everybody humiliated or anything like that. Mm -hmm. he, he speaks the truth. So I, I think that even in the corrective ways, that it, it's, a, it's a merciful rebuke in a sense. It's, and, and only when they start getting confrontational about it and they're, they're saying, well, we're right and you're wrong, then he actually has to confront them a little more aggressively. But, mm -hmm. but there are people that are wrong that he addresses that are being wrong without hurting them or being unloving to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Truth, truth is not unloving. You know, and, and and some people they if they are contradicted in the least, they immediately think you're attacking them. Well, no, it might be because I love you, but I'm contradicting you because truth is truth. Eh? So, all right, so. So in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells, but it says that he was he created all things and he holds all things together. That holding of all things together is, is a very interesting phrase. Um, this is my opinion. So I, this is just one of those things that as, as reading the, the Old Testament, reading the New Testament, reading through different things. These, this is one of the things, when I got to that verse way back when, at whatever time I saw this, and I read that, I put that together with the day that he was crucified. Do you remember when Christ was crucified and he actually died? Do you remember what happened? The earth split. People rose from the dead. The earth split. There was a great earthquake. The, the, the sun went dark. Yeah. 
I've often wondered if, as Christ died on the earth, if the if the creation oh, just started falling apart. You know, it didn't it didn't fall completely apart because no. he didn't you know he didn't die f- fully. He died on you know in that moment he died physically, but I you know and like I said, this is my opinion. But it's just one of those interesting verses. You go, huh? I wonder if, as he died on the cross, that the creation itself went, "What's happening here?" And it started to fall apart. But it's a thought. It's one of those. Take it home, and with that and a buck and a quarter, you get a frosty shake. <laughs> a buck and a quarter, really? I don't know. Whatever. What, what are they worth now? I don't know. What's what's a what's a shamrock shake? No. Two something. Ooh. That's what I was thinking. You get a half a shamrock shake then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get at least a medium. Oh, see, that's just wrong. You almost have to have two a week just to keep up. <laughs> All right. The idea that Jesus is both the unifying principle and the personal sustainer of all creation. Uh, he is what holds all things together. Uh, I also heard, I remember when I was in college, one of these few things that I remember from college, uh, whatever class it was, I think it was a physics class, they said that an atom, they still don't know what keeps an atom from just falling apart. God. Yeah, he holds all things together. He holds all things together. Because, you know, I mean, obviously there is a physical principle going on, but scientists still don't know exactly why it does it. Why, why do they just, why does it, everything should just fall apart. Well, here we have a verse that says, he holds all things together. He keeps them moving. That's pretty amazing that he, he can do everything that he's doing at every moment of every day and holding the whole universe together at this exact same time. He's a pretty big God. So God is the preserver, is necessary uh, to the continuance of all things, as God the Creator was to our original production. But this preserving or continuing power is here ascribed to Christ. So, Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, he is saying we need to, we have our part to play. We have our, our uh, God does what he does, Jesus does what he does, um, but we still have to continue in the faith. We have a choice, we have, we have a, a decision to make to continue to walk in the faith. And that's something I've been meditating on quite a bit lately, and, and even in preparing for this next series of sermons talking about Jesus, is that we have to keep moving forward. We have to keep believing and growing in the relationship with Him. If we stop at any point, 
he he wants us to continue, but it, it's almost it's 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 also a it's a partnership. It's a it's a relationship with him that it takes two. He's done all that he can do. Now we have to keep moving. And right here, Paul is saying that. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, he, God will do his part. You know, he has done his part. Jesus has done his part. He saved us. He, he, he caused us to have eternal life through, through his blood on the cross. But our part is to continue in the faith. So, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Verse 24. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is, the church. Of which I am a minister according to the stewardship from God that, is, that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints... To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember that the Gnostics were saying that that they have secret knowledge. Well, Paul continues throughout this whole book to, to use words that are like that, mystery, uh, knowledge, wisdom, you know, using the same kind of words they were using, but he's saying, who does he keep saying the mystery is about? Jesus. Who does he keep saying has all the wisdom and knowledge of God? Jesus. Jesus. He, when, he's, when he's talking to these people, it, it, we have to keep in context the fact that they are, they're, they're, they're hearing from other people this other doctrine. And so Paul is, is forming an argument that is meeting them right where they're at. He's, he's using their buzzwords. You know, whenever we talk to someone, we have to relate to where they're at. We have to relate to who they are. Um, you don't go into a, uh, into a third world country and speak uh, philosophically and theologically. You have to meet them where they're at. I, I, I tried to do a taping for a Bible school uh, last year. In the city of Sikahid, the city, <laughs> the town of Sikahid, which is, you know, they don't even have running water. They don't have central heating or central air. They don't have, most of them don't have cars. They don't, they live in mud huts. And I was trying to teach uh, at a uh, college level because the, the taping was for a Bible school online. I was trying to teach at that level to tape it, but in their presence. And the longer I talked, the longer I realized they weren't hearing me at all. You can't, you can't do that. You can't. So I finally told Dan and Marta, I said, we have to stop doing this. I'm just going to teach to these people. These are the ones who are here right now. We have to meet their needs. That's who we're in front of. We'll do the other some other time. Same thing here with Paul. Okay, if the argument is that Christ... Uh, did not come in bodily form. Let's talk about that. Let's let's use the terms that they're using. He was spirit, but he was also fully man. Uh, here, let's talk about the mystery. Okay, yeah, we have mystery too. Ooh, we have a mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Those those are the the words that he's using. I think it's also that there's there's an element to the the mystery that he talks about that 
has to do with the Holy Spirit leading you in the particular situations you're in too. So the same thing where you knew to stop doing what you were doing, but actually minister to the people that were there. I mean, there's there's ways that that God through His Spirit will give us insight for the setting and for the conversation and for the circumstance that is kind of a mystery aspect of it, where we have some advantage in continuing in the faith. We have an advantage of having um, the Holy Spirit lead us into all truth and to be our guide and to comfort us and to, to um, show us things that we wouldn't otherwise know. So mm-hmm. there's kind of, there's an element of the secret knowledge part of it, but it's not that I have it and you can't have it. It's it's available for for anyone who um, takes Jesus up on his offer and, and and actually seeks to know him and and seeks with all, all their heart. And it's something that I think that it's it's given on God's terms, not on our own, where we get to say, Oh, I got it and that's all I needed from God but but he actually when he knows that he can trust us with information, he'll give it to us sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and when he knows that we know how to listen to him, he'll speak to us something that might be uh, um, something about somebody else or, or that would enter into that conversation where God might impress on your heart that you're supposed to talk about something or yep. whatever. So. And, and that's a huge point. Something you said a little bit earlier, you said that that the, the Gnostics were saying, we have a secret knowledge, but unless you get that revealed to you supernaturally, you're out. Paul is saying, we have a secret knowledge, and let me tell you about it. He's, he's, the kingdom of God reveals those mysteries. Jesus came to reveal God. If God wanted us to stay mysterious, Jesus would have never came. And only those who, who measured up and only those who, who uh, jumped through the right hoops could become or have a relationship with him, which would be nobody. Yeah, and there'd be no way to distinguish what was right and what wasn't. Everybody yep. would have their own theories and <coughs> nobody would have certainty whatsoever. Yep. But Paul says, hey, I'm going to give you the... I have a secret and I'm going to tell you. <laughs> People love secrets. And they love hearing the, the they love hearing the secret. And okay. if you whisper it to them, it's even harder. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, when he healed certain people, said, "Don't tell anybody"? Because mm-hmm. he knew that they, they would. <laughs> he knew they couldn't help it. Yeah. 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 I get a question about verse twenty-four, mm-hmm. where, like my version, which is you know the slave Jewish Bible says, "I rejoice." It's the second half. I rejoice uh, in my present sufferings on your behalf. Speaking to the Colossians, yes, I am completing in my own flesh what has been lacking of the Messiah's afflictions on behalf of his body, the Messianic community. I don't understand that second part. <clears throat> I'm completing in my own flesh what has been lacking in the Messiah's afflictions. It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> and only God Is will that reveal all it. Of, that's all in 24? Yeah. yeah. So now in the... ESV, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church. Yeah. That's a very good question. Um, it makes it sound like 
somehow Paul is finishing the work that Jesus started. That somehow Jesus didn't do everything that, yes. that, that on the cross. And theologians, all my notes here, say that's, it, it's true, mm-hmm. but it's not true. It's not true in the standpoint that Jesus somehow didn't do it all. He did do it all. But there were things that Jesus didn't do that somebody else has to do. Let me give you an example of that. Um, for Paul, it was he had to, he was in prison, and because he was in prison, people that weren't would not have normally heard the gospel are hearing it, and because of being in the prison, being in prison, he's kind of a celebrity, you know. He's he's you know people where he in the churches where he had been before. People are like, whoa, he's in prison and he's still uh, full of joy, full, still full of life, still preaching the gospel. He was doing something that was, he was being afflicted. And because in that affliction, he was doing something that was inspiring them. Not that, it's not talking about their salvation. Okay. It's not talking about the salvation of the church. Um, let me give you a, a real time, real life right here example. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, that you will have no need for others to teach you. Mm-hmm. It says that. Then what am I doing? I'm, I'm taking notes while you're talking. <laughs> sharing. sharing with you. Reminiscing. Well, it says also that we'll be taught by the word, very word of mouth of God. Yep. So then at that point, why in the world would we have pastors? There are some denominations that take that and say, that's why they don't have denomination, or they, I'm sorry, they don't have pastors. They don't have leaders. They don't have those areas. But we can see Paul established pastors. He established elders. He established people over, and he said, teach and preach and rebuke and do all of these things. So is this a, a which one is right? You don't need you, you don't you don't need anybody to teach you anything. You have the Holy Spirit, or pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and and apostles are necessary both it's both does that have more than one place because i i don't remember that being said of when the holy spirit comes i thought it was speaking of a different time i would have to do the research but i've always looked at it as he says when when the holy spirit comes upon you, you 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 will not need well there's a verse that says that you won't say to one another, "Know the Lord," for you all know Him from the least to the greatest. Is there's, the it's, there's another. Nope. There's another verse. Okay. No, there's a different verse. Did your verse in twenty four say afflicted? Is that the word it used? Afflictions. Affliction. And Kelly, did yours say affliction? Uh, yes, afflictions. Yeah. Okay. The only ones my words mind changes is messianic community for church. Okay. Because there's an interesting affliction has a connotation to it that I don't think we completely understand and I've, I've noticed it as something that is not so much of a, I'm suffering and I'm been beat up because I'm having to be crucified kind of affliction but it's actually something that God sometimes does to us as, as a way of the, the disciplining a child kind of connotation. I, I don't know that I can explain it terribly well, but I've seen that but, kind of... But this verse here, according to the to the stuff that I've read, the, the theologians that I've read, they all say what he's talking about is his time in prison. He's basically saying what he's experiencing in prison, the affliction that he is experiencing in prison, 
is for their benefit. It's and and it's like this. How many of you have ever heard or seen testimonies of Chinese Christians uh, in their walk? There, there, I've seen a couple of videos or like uh, um, documentaries where they interview Chinese Christians and they are going through afflictions. I mean, they're being persecuted. They're losing their jobs. They're being put in prison. But as they're talking, they have big smiles on their face. <laughs> they view, yeah, they view it as like Paul did. They view it as part of the deal. The yeah, and as I watch that, I don't, I don't feel remorse or even pity. What I feel is encouragement. Oh my gosh, if they can have joy through those afflictions, it's it inspires me. It 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 even challenges me to live my life in such a way that it's worthy. Like Paul said, worthy to be treated like Christ. You know, worthy to be to be afflicted like Christ. So that's what he's talking about here is that that Paul is saying that what I'm going through is for your benefit and it's to help you. It's 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 to encourage them and then we're and we hear that is exactly what it's what it did. It encouraged them to keep preaching the word anyway. If Paul can do it, I can do it. You know, if Paul can keep going, I can keep going. It certainly isn't uh, somehow finishing salvation or and I, I didn't really think it meant I know I wasn't really going that direction I just didn't understand but that is that is a common you know according to all these guys they said a lot of people have thought that over the years mm-hmm. they, they, they go down that road my point wasn't so much to, to say this was one thing or another but <coughs> more to point out that when we assume several words all mean exactly the same thing yeah. we can simplify something beyond the point of having the information anymore and I, and I, I've noticed in the, the word affliction that there's there's something that I, I don't think I've understood um, that, that seems to be consistent across the use of affliction alright verse 28 him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil struggling with all his all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul's focus is preaching. He didn't preach himself. He didn't preach his own opinions. He uh, he didn't even uh, preach with lots of entertaining stories. He preached Jesus, and he said that in other books, other letters. He says, "I preach nothing, but I know I, I endeavor to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified." So. He is warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Paul wanted the whole gospel for the whole world. He wouldn't hold back in either area. So, therefore, the aim of this epistle, and indeed all of the apostle work, apostolic work, is admonishing and teaching every man toward the realization of perfection in Christ. And that is something that, you know, wherever we are, that should be... The, the very thing we look for. Say we move. People move. You go to a, you move to a different town. You move to a different state, and you're looking for a church, or you're looking for a fellowship of believers to be uh, in relationship with, or whatever it may be. To me, there is only one criteria, and the criteria isn't how big the church or how small the church. It isn't how many programs it has or how many it doesn't have whether it has a, a, a band or it has a choir, whether it's none of those things. What's the most, the, the most important thing to look at in a church is 
are they preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified? If they're preaching, follow me, act like me, act like us, we, we figured out a good way to live, then they're in the wrong. There, there, there's nothing there to, to, to uh, there's nothing there of weight, of importance. If it's about following me, oh my gosh, you guys are in so much trouble. It's about following Jesus Christ. And, and whoever is teaching, whoever is preaching, should always be pointing to Christ. Follow Christ. Now you can, Paul said, and, and, and it's, I think it's okay to say, I believe it is okay to say, follow me as I follow Christ. But the minute I stop following Christ, run. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, and you have to be responsible for that. How do you know if I'm preaching Christ? Well, you're in the word too. You're in the word and you're, you're hearing from God and you're, you're seeing, you know, why, why is anyone successful? And I mean, truly successful. I don't mean big buildings and big numbers because a lot of people can have big numbers and big buildings. I mean, the, when the, I watched a video one time of the, the, the church of moon, you know, and they were, they were doing a wedding of like, you know, a thousand people or 5,000 people or whatever. That's a big building and a big congregation. Doesn't mean he's right. But how does anybody who's doing something for God, who is actually, what does it mean to do something for God? It means to know him and to do whatever he tells you to do. That's the most important thing. Okay? And you, you can use that on TV too, of the ministers. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how they preach. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Well, I think the part in, in the end there that we are just talking about, about for every man and the, that it's teaching every every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus that there's something about being equal opportunity <laughs> this isn't just a exclusive club where yep. we're trying to just take care of us I mean there's obviously evangelical aspects of the overseas missions the community stuff that we do here that's just a um, kind of a overflow of the, the desire for this not to be all about us that it's actually an inviting thing and and that's that's one of the, the litmus test things when looking for a church too I think that if it appears that they're trying to be exclusive and not not really having a kind of a uh, a draw and a outreach sort of feel to it, where they're they're actually trying to have this impact the community that they're in, then, then that's a that's something to to watch for too. Amen. Yep. Yeah. When are you going to get the TV pastor here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, I have Debbie to thank for that. Well, she would have to get rough. I mean, yeah. the process. Yeah. Don't Debbie. do that. <laughs> and the and the and the eyeliner. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> Show and the, the the big big lashes and everything. What are you thinking of? Taylor oh no, Knight. I'm not thinking of anyone. I am not thinking of anyone in particular. <laughs> Colossians chapter two, verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. I remember he had never been to Laodicea, um, and so he's he's not just concerned about the people he knows he's talking to all all christians that's why in this book 
you can say, well, he's talking to me because he's never met me either. But he's talking to believers as a whole. He wasn't talking to a specific situation. He's talking to believers as a whole. Um, And for all who have not seen me face to face. Well, that's us. So apparently Paul had never visited Colossae himself. Most of the Colossian Christians had never seen his face in the flesh. Even as Paul's authority extended to those he had never met, to those he had never seen his who had never seen his face, it also extends to us. Verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There it is again. He keeps coming back to that. All the hidden treasures, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But what's the answer? Christ. It's Christ. And he tells you, he doesn't he doesn't make you have to figure it out. He doesn't, you know, wait for the the big revelation from, you know, he says it's Christ, which is Christ. So, Paul wanted this uh, because he was concerned about their enthusiasm, he wanted to encourage them. He knew that discouragement down or discouraged downcast Christians are easy prey for the world, the flesh and the devil. That is so true. If we start getting discouraged, then we are in trouble. So he's encouraging them. We need to encourage each other. You can make it. You can do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. We're going to make it. We're all in this together. Because if we become discouraged, we can, we'll, we'll, we're done. We, can't, we cannot keep fighting. We have to have that hope, that uh, belief that God is in the middle of doing exactly what he said he would do. He also says they need to be knit together in love. This is a continuing, reoccurring theme throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. It's all about uh, continuing in that love. Um, his concern was for unity, not in making people do things or living a certain way. It's about love and unity. He knew that their unity came not uh, from not only love, but also also from truth. So it says, uh, knitting together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. That is the truth of what's going on. He's You have to know the understanding and the knowledge of God. True wisdom, Paul wanted them to know, is in Christ. And indeed, that knowledge would knit them together in love. I was thinking about the prayer in John 17 where he, where he prays that we would be one as he and the Father is one. And that's, that's something that surrounding this theme of unity and knowing that there are a lot of people that are going through some really tough times right now and I was was and am one of them. And uh, I've seen that pop up as a theme that there's an importance in being unified and strengthened together as a body because some of us are going through times that we need the help of others at that time. And some people are strong in times when other people are weak and it goes back and forth. And I don't think that within the limitations of the enemy that he can attack all of us all at the same time at the same extent. That there are some that he he can target and others that are strong enough to help those 
and obviously God is is able to help even those that don't have a community around them to, to help them. But there's something about being unified that's really important. And um, yeah, the devil is not omnipresent and omnipotent, all powerful and everywhere. Uh, he is limited, and so yeah. I mean, he can't attack everybody at one time. So my my thing is always keep you know head down and then <laughs> don't draw attention. We wait wait till he attacks somebody else and then run. No. Just oh. kidding, <laughs> just kidding. That's not the way we're supposed to live our lives. Well, there's there's something and there's something that I I know that you can go one extreme with it, and not to get us off topic, um, but you can go to one extreme and blame the devil for everything that's going wrong. And people can say, well, the devil made me do it, or, oh, something bad happened, and so the devil must be after me, and things like that that are not not properly nope. explained in that way. Nope. There are consequences to doing things that are stupid, <laughs> and sometimes you have to live through those consequences. But I think that there is something, not, not to completely dismiss the spiritual attack aspect of it, and um, the verse that I'm thinking of is when Jesus talks to Simon Peter and he says, um, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. And so there's something that Jesus right there in that setting said that, you know, Satan's trying to come after you, but I prayed for you and your faith's going to be strong. And so the flip side of the blaming the devil for everything is the say, saying that yeah, this spiritual attack stuff with a bunch of baloney and dismissing it all together. And I think you set yourself up for being ignorant in certain ways when you do that. And mm-hmm. so, not to glorify the devil by any means, but to acknowledge that there's reasons why we're supposed to be in unity mm-hmm. as a community. There's reasons why we're supposed to be in in uh, continuing in the faith, where we continue to, to hear from God and learn what he's like and to have him speak into our lives and um, to help us to be prepared for what's coming and and to know how to get out of the place we are and things like that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. Three mysteries are described in Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 3. The first mystery is the church as the body of Christ, for which Paul suffered and served. That's 1, 24 through 26. The second mystery is the indwelling Christ, the hope of glory in each individual believer. And the third mystery is the revealed Jesus, the treasury of all wisdom and knowledge. That's in verse or chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. So the people in Colossae wanted a mystery. They, they, they're listening to... Uh, the Gnostics, the Gnostics are saying, well, we have a mystery for you. Paul is saying, if you want a mystery, I'll give you a mystery. Here's, the, these are, here's three mysteries that are greater than any mystery that you can come up with. And they all center around Jesus Christ and who he is. That in him is all, tr- all the treasury of wisdom and knowledge. So it is continue. I mean, we just we can keep hitting that over and over and over again. He is he's dealing with the heresy. In today, you know, that's modern day theologians need to be doing the same thing because there's all kinds of misunderstandings, misbeliefs of who God is. And we talked about one on Sunday. Is you know you have the the knock at the door and there's 
there is uh, somebody standing there and they say, oh, you know, we want to tell you about what we believe. And you say, well, I'm our, I'm a, I am a Christian. Oh, so are we. Well, unless we know what they believe and we know what we believe, then, and I've had, I've had people, Christians, say, I think Mormons are just like us. Well, the truth is, they're not. They're, they're the exact opposite. In, in all, even though they use the same words, the same terminology, the same everything, they do not believe the same that we do. That's what Paul is doing here, is he is refuting this, and he's hitting it, and hitting it, and hitting it, and hitting it, because it's important. It's important to believe the, the, the truth, the true knowledge, and the true wisdom of Christ. Okay? Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So, those who told the Colossians to find wisdom and knowledge apart from the simplicity of Jesus were very persuasive. The lure of hidden and deep wisdom and knowledge can be both strong and deceptive. Lest anyone should deceive you, Paul did not say that they had already been deceived, but he clearly saw the danger and warned them about it. Uh, a good friend of mine was a Mormon, and many of you know, uh, he came and taught here when we were talking about um, uh, cults many, a few, quite a few years ago. Dan Lewis. Dan Lewis was, a, uh, was in the, the Mormon church. He was a priest <coughs> in the Mormon church, but all men are priests, so they're all considered priests. But he said one of... Huh? He's a high priest. Well, yeah, but he, they, they all are at some point in time. Mm. But the he said one of the things about the Mormons is we have secret knowledge. We have something that nobody else knows. It's no different. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. People still want secret knowledge. People still want to know something more because they, then they feel superior to others. So... Um, so it might sound simple, but deceivers are deceivers. They won't announce their false doctrines or false doctrine. They will often be similar enough to the truth to be dangerous. That's the problem. And they have systematically changed their phraseology to sound like Christians. And that's when they say, oh, well, we are Christians. We believe the same things you believe. And then they say it very much the same way we say it. It's because they're deceivers. They are they are trying to deceive you. Not they may be sincere. You can be sincere and be a deceiver at the same time, because they they want to do whatever it takes to get you into their belief system. That's why with Christianity we cannot be deceivers. We can, we have to tell people the absolute truth, and as we tell them, then God, the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and will lead them into a relationship with Christ. But we can't tell them, you know, it'd be great. And I've, I've heard people, I've, I've actually been with people when they said, oh, just pray this prayer with me. Here, pray this prayer. And, and nothing more was said. It was just pray this prayer with me. Okay. And then they, they continue, you know, they, they say a, a prayer a certain way and they walk away going, see, they're saved. No, they were just tricked into saying a phrase. That's not being saved. They have to know what they're doing. They have to understand it. It has to be 
a clear representation of the gospel. The gospel is this. And it doesn't take that long to tell you what the gospel is. That's what's great about the gospel. It's not real difficult. It's very easy. The gospel is this. Man is sinful. Every human being who has ever been born in this earth, except Jesus Christ, has been born into sin and deserves destruction. There is no way, no way for anyone to have a relationship with God in their own ability. They can't be good enough. They can't be smart enough. They can't earn it. They can't, they can't do anything to have a relationship with God. The only way is through Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, Jesus came in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. And the reason he lived a sinless life was because he was all God and he was all man. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, specifically laying out how that works, why Jesus could be all God and all man at the same time. He lived a sinless life, which made him worthy to be that sacrifice. He died on the cross. His, shed, his blood was shed, and he paid for sin completely. The only way that you can be saved is through accepting what he did on that cross. When asked, how come you get to go to heaven? It's easy, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. No other reason. Not because you're good enough, or you go to the right church, or you know me, or any of those things. It's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And from that day forward, you allow him to be the Lord of your life. You let him lead you. You let him guide you. From that day forward. That's, and that those things are non-negotiable. You can't believe that he died on the cross and not let him be the Lord of your life. And, and that's where people will say, just, just, just believe this and then you're in. No. Be, let him be the Lord of your life. I'll, I'll tell you in six weeks whether I think you're saved or not. Not, not because I'm going to judge you, but by their fruits, you will know. You will know a person by how they live their lives. If they continue to live in sin, then nothing happened. If, if they continue to walk with God, now it doesn't mean they're perfect. See, and that's where it starts going, wait a second. How does this work? Because, I, I mean, any, okay, let's take a, full, full, uh, uh, a vote, or not a vote, take a Take a uh, poll here. How many of you sinned in the last two weeks? Last few minutes. Last few minutes. Come on, Kelly. Come on. Let's go over here. <laughs> but how does that work? Well, what, what the way it works is because Jesus Christ died for my sins. Everyone that I, was, I have ever committed, everyone that I'm going to commit. My heart is after him. I'm seeking after him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I mean, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years. I've been a believer for over 40 years at different various points and times. <laughs> and I... I'm oh, sorry. Is that okay? My sure. Thought? You said something a, a while back where you said you can be sincere and still be it was a receiver. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a, there's a natural pitfall to being insecure in your faith that can kind of lead people into that situation where... They really don't understand the truth, or they really haven't allowed Christ to be their Lord and change their life. They're, they want to give the sales pitch, in a sense, 
because they intuitively know it's right, but because of the insecurity and the immaturity in, in the development of their faith, there, there's this temptation to have to make it sound perfect, like your life's going to be all roses and everything's going to be fine, because they don't really know how to communicate it in a way. And I'm not saying that that's a cop-out, or that that's a legitimate place to stay, but it's, I think it's a, it's a natural progression of embracing the immature level of faith indefinitely. And, and there are churches that will cater to believers who want to stay there for years and years and years. And that's where you get the canned answers to the sincere questions that people have. You get this church, churchy-sounding answer that's very empty and very insincere, and people leave because they don't think you care about them for giving them that answer. And it's, it's unfortunate that that's as common as it, as it is, that, that there's... I, I'm not sure it's entirely deliberate, but there's, there's comfort level that's allowed in being in a place of pretty insecure um, faith, where you don't really ever put your faith to the test. Your life looks like everybody else's that doesn't believe, and you never really shared your faith, or what, what for me, years ago, having basically been um, born again in the early part of college and involved in University Christian Fellowship, and the strong push of that organization about sharing your faith, sharing your faith, is that for me it seemed insincere to do it, because I didn't really let God change my life until probably over the course of the next several years. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really have anything <coughs> that was from a place of sincerity. So that, that's one thing that I will, will say is that if you want to tell somebody about how God has changed your life, you have to let him change your life first. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Good. All right. Verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so uh, the words that he uses here, good order and firmness in the Greek, are actually military words. Uh, he sees the situation of the Colossians as being like that of an army under attack and affirms that their lines are unbroken and their discipline is intact. Their faith in Christ unshaken. And there are times when we have to be militaristic in our belief system. This is what I believe. And you stand. And you do not waver. And, you know, even though it seems crazy to keep believing anyway. I mean, in, in, in 40 years, 45 years, I've had all kinds of opportunities for my faith to be shaken. And... Why hasn't it shaken it to the point of despair? Mainly because I just know there's no other way to do it. There's just no other real answer to this life. And so, okay, then I'm just going to believe it. I'm just, I'm going to stay unshaken. I'm going to stay moving forward. I have prayed for people to be healed and they've died. I've prayed for people to die and they didn't. 
Now that may seem weird, but you know, Lord, take them, take them quick. If that's what you want to do, Lord, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. And they've lived. I mean, things that it is it hasn't gone exactly how I would want it to go. Why does? Why did God heal one person instantaneously, and the next person is still suffering with what they're dealing with? I mean, I wish there was easy answers, but through it all, there is no other answer. You know, okay, do I have my questions? Yes. I have tons of questions, but I don't have any doubts. That's the difference, is that in the midst of this, I, have, I will ask, all, I, I ask God all the time, God, why is this happening? Why is, that, why is that happening to that person? And I'm not judging them. Oh, Lord, you know, how can they be that way? No, I'm just, I want to know. I want to know what's going on. I want to be there for them. I want to help them out. But through it all, I, can't, I don't have the luxury to have doubts. I don't have luxury. I don't have the luxury to, to doubt whether God is good or not. He is good. Bottom line. That's all that's that's that is an unshakable truth that I I can't even mess with. Because without it, we're in trouble. So he's saying that they are militaristic, their lines are intact, uh the lines are unbroken and their discipline intact. We have to be that way. Verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. So he does not receive these qualities and attributes as things apart from the Lord Jesus. He, uh, but receiving him, he obtains them. Because of Jesus, we have all these other things. We, then we have wisdom, we have knowledge, we have truth, we have all of these things. So we need to walk in that. We, we need to, to live like that day in and day out. We have to as Paul says, you have to walk in it. Okay? If you if you're believing that God is good, act like it. Be, it make your decisions like that. Because people will make decisions by what they believe or what they don't believe. If you believe that God isn't good, you won't trust him and you won't believe the same things as if you believe that he is good or that he is fair, or that he is loving, or that he is whatever the Bible says he is. The Bible says this is the way he is. I, I don't have the luxury of not believing that and not living that way. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So rooted, sinking your, deeps, sinking, sinking your roots deep, and built up, established in faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So these guys are getting buffeted on all sides. They're being told all kinds of crazy things. You want to know the deep, dark secret, which I've only told a, told a couple of people? Do you know why we are spending a whole year talking about doctrine? Because in the years to come, you're going to need it. The body of Christ is going to need it. Because... There's going to be such an onslaught. I'm convinced of it. There's going to be such an onslaught of the kingdom of God, of the truth of his word, that we are going to have to know exactly what we believe and why. Now, why isn't everyone teaching this? Why isn't everyone in the body of Christ teaching this stuff right now? I don't know whether they don't, you know, whether God's just leading us in this direction right now or 
because I know some people are. Interestingly enough, I have people coming going, oh, did you know that such and such a ministry is doing the exact same thing and such and such a church is doing the same thing? Huh, interesting, huh? But the Lord keeps telling me, get people ready. You are going to have to know this stuff. This is not for fun. This is not because, oh, well, let's try something different for a while. It's already happening. It just drives me nuts when I'll be listening to the radio and I'll hear somebody get on and start referencing referencing biblical stuff that they have no concept or clue about. Mm-hmm. And they're just rambling off about it. And I just want to scream. But, uh, yeah. And it's happening more and more. I mean, I'll be listening to the same thing. I'll be driving down the road listening to sports talk. And all of a sudden, they start talking about theological issues. And I want to call up and go, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Do you want a real reference here? Because what you guys are saying is not the truth. But people are, there's something stirring in the world. And, and it's, it's deeper than what it's ever been before. And it's going to get deeper. People want to know the truth. And okay, who best to tell them the truth than us? Who, who better to give them a real representation of who God is than the church? That's what we're supposed to do. So this stuff isn't just, you know, not just this stuff on tonight, but the, the doctrine stuff is not just for your knowledge. It's to be ready to give that answer. It's, it's ready to, to give a, a deep answer because not everybody just wants the, the surface stuff. They, okay, show me in the Bible where this is true. Good, okay, I'll go back to my notes. Here it is. We'll start looking at verses, verse after verse after verse. Here's where it's at. Here's where it's at. And have a reference form. And if we were to witness to the Jewish people, it's going to be a must. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have, to have, you have to have it backed up. Yeah. Absolutely. Some of the reassuring things when you're talking about how you're seeing it pop up in various farms all over the place, it's reassuring to me is that Jesus said that it's his church. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that you got to trust that he's got... He's got stuff moving in in the right ways for him to win. I mean, because mm-hmm. he does win, and I think that there, I've seen I've seen similar things going on and similar themed things from a different angle going on right now too. Um, but there are people that are speaking nonsense right now at the same time. But I, I think for the same reason, we're not all immediately attacked at the same level that. That there are preparations that that Jesus for His church knows are necessary, and I think mm-hmm. that we're involved in that. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing some of the the glimpses of what it's gonna look like too. The things that we have to be ready for happening now in not all of us all at the same time because it doesn't work like that. But but God knows what's coming. He knows what we need to be ready for it and. I mean, it's it's his church, and we can be thankful that that he's got control to be able to rise up the the, the church that wants to be on board with what he's doing. So I think that that's that's an encouragement, and and also to give a little bit of grace to the people that are wrong <laughs> right now too. You know, there's they might be phase three. <laughs> God gets a hold of them. You know. Amen. Amen. All right, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here it is again. He just keeps hammering it. 
You know, I mean, I, I could say it all over again. You've heard me. You could start saying it. Maybe you should. Maybe I should just pick somebody. What is the theme of Colossians? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And... He's the answer to the mystery. He's the answer to the mystery. He is the fullness of that mystery. If there's a mystery out there, it's Jesus. That's the biggest mystery that you'll ever need to know the answer. Because if you have the answer to that mystery, you have the answer to every mystery from that point on. He just keeps hammering it over and over and over again. And here he goes with the second theme of Colossians, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus came in bodily form. Jesus came in bodily form. Jesus came in bodily form. He doesn't want it to be... Well, what did Paul really mean? He's making it clear. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So this is a dramatic airtight declaration of the full deity of Jesus. Since all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus, he cannot be halfway God or a junior God. I think it's the uh, I think it's the uh, Mormons who think that he's a junior God. He's a he's a sub God. Okay, and so on. The Mormons think we all become gods, right? Yeah, and, and that Jesus showed us the path to do that, being the first to become God, um, but he wasn't born that way. He was a son of God, just like we're son of gods, or sons of God. Um, yeah, so that's how they believe. So the way to do it is to always have been God, so just like Jesus did. So if you've always been God... Then, then you, you can be become God. God. <laughs> exactly. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He has to throw this in because that's still part of the teaching, part of the, the, the mixture of teachings that were going on at that time. It wasn't just Gnosticism, but it was also uh, Doceticism. It was also um, the Kabbalah. It was, a, it was a number of things that they were mixing together to come up with this new uh, hybrid of a religion. So here he's saying, hey, it's not about circumcision, just in case you guys wanted to know. Um, it's the, it's the, this free, or this uh, passage right here from about 11 down to 19 is all about the Jewish laws. Saying, you know, and we'll get to all of it, we won't talk about all of it, but he's saying circumcision is not important. It's not the circumcision of the body, it's the circumcision of the heart. It's the, it's, it's the spiritual circumcision, separating yourself from flesh, peeling away of the, the dead flesh and living for the spirit. That's what he's talking about. Uh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them 
in him. And so he's talking about if you want to if you want to put a weight in something, put it in baptism. He's saying baptism is that that outward sign of a spiritual change in you. The baptism, you know, the uh, bat- baptism through immersion. Now, it's interesting. I, I got to that point in studying this out, and I thought, where did infant baptism come from? Does anybody know? Do you know how they started baptizing, when and how they started baptizing infants? You ever wonder that? Mm-hmm. I, I learned it once, but I forget. Um, when my wife was going through a Lutheran parish nurse thing, I forget what they said about it. Yep. There's, there are verses that talk about uh, being born into the kingdom of God. And they took those verses early on, first, second century. It happened very early in the, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church to, that people believed that, that you could be baptized through as a child. Uh, and there was, a, there was a big fancy Latin name for, for uh, infant baptism. Um, but then there was a second baptism back then, which was the believer's baptism, which is an immersion, which was uh, for well, once a person knew what they were doing, made the decision for Christ, and then were baptized publicly for, for, uh, for, in that way. But as time went on into the 4th century, so within the first 400 years, the Roman Catholic Church had gone completely with infant baptism, and it was a human tradition. You know, the very thing that Paul is talking about here, don't get sucked in by tradition. He's what they did was they said, Well, if we can baptize as an infant, let's just take care of it then, and nobody has to worry about not being baptized. If they're baptized in as a child, they're in. And they, they got away from the truth, the mystery, which was because of the blood of Christ on the cross. It wasn't even through baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is just an outward science. It's an obedience to what God has already said to do, but it is not what saves you. All kinds of people get get saved and go to heaven without ever being baptized. Even in the Bible. The thief on the cross. And vice versa. (laughs) And vice versa. Vice versa. You can be baptized and not be saved. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All kinds of people baptizing on straight to hell. Is that one reason why Lutheran still do confirmation, have confirmation, as a second baptism sort of? As a, a, you know, yes. Because there they make a confession of faith. Now, the difference with that there is it's the, the... the power of it gets lost, not on everybody. I shouldn't say that because not everybody. Some people actually truly get saved at confirmation. I don't doubt that a bit. I've heard of it. I've, I've known people who have gotten saved at confirmation. But it can also become just another liturgical thing that people say and do. Yeah, it becomes a ritual. But yes, exactly. See what I've learned? Yes. I'm sorry, honey, I was wrong. Wow. I'm so lost right now. <laughs> we got that on a recording, by the way. What? We'll talk later. No, tell me. What were you wrong? I was just telling her that I was wrong. That, you know, you getting baptized as a baby is pointless because a baby can't say, I'm going to follow Christ. It is pointless. But I was telling her. She's wrong because she's Lutheran and that's what she believes. Oh. 
So now I'm saying I'm wrong. Because at, at confirmation, what they are basically saying is, I believe that what I believe these things, and they they have the the creeds, they have the the thing, you know, the statements of faith. I believe that Christ died, that you know that he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross, that his you know, they're saying the very things. But so do Catholics. You know, you go to a church service, uh, you know, you go to a, a funeral. I mean, and I, I, I actually sad because I've gone to a number of Catholic funerals. Um, for family members and you know uh, and so on, and I'm thinking, wow, they're saying all the right things, everything. There's nothing that they're saying isn't true, but the difference is it's become it's become a ritual. Come Charlie Brown's teacher. Exactly. Yeah. And we call it a dedication. Our church calls it. We we do a dedication where we where it's really a commitment of the parents saying. We're going to raise this child to know the, the, the to, know to know Christ. Yes, but I'm sure if we go back far enough, why did why did churches like ours first start doing dedications? Because every church I've ever been in does dedications. I do dedications, but why? Because I know when when Ethan was born, when when our both of our children were born. Do you know how long it took me to dedicate my kids to Christ? One minute. I mean, they were born, and I was already saying, God, this is your child. Mm-hmm. I mean, so why do we have to get up in front of a church service and do it publicly? It's part of its tradition. Part of it is people do that. And it's... Those are the Lutheran relatives that are... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being baptized, you're supposed to do it because it's a public outward admission. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why dedication is public. Well, tell the Pope before this one unbaptized babies they weren't sure if they went to heaven or not mm-hmm. but but that pope changed it so now they go to heaven so that's oh, why you do it good <laughs> I was really worried about those innocent children yeah <laughs> so but yeah I mean it it becomes traditions anything that that is not scriptural becomes a tradition is it a bad tradition no, it's not a bad tradition that we do, you know. So even, you know, like uh, Pastor Dan always said, well, let me say it this way. One of our church's uh, pastors, the St. Gregory Falls and Grandy, I won't tell you which one, one of the pastors called me up one day and said, I got a question for you. I got somebody in our church whose grandmother is, is Catholic. She's in her 90s, middle to late 90s. And this grandmother is insisting that the grandchild gets baptized before she dies. What should I do? What did I tell her? What did I tell that person, that pastor? Baptize them. I said baptize them. <laughs> Give them a wet dedication. It doesn't. It's not wrong. It's not sin. It's, but what are we? What do we put our hope in? Is that it? Is that child saved? No. That child has to make a decision on their own. My child has to make had to make a decision on their own. You know, we all have to make our own decision. The the Lutherans obviously have confirmation, which they they specifically make sure that happens at an age. You know, whatever twelve. What is it? Thirteen, fourteen. I was fourteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hey, it's all there. All the truth is there. So if there, if if the if the pastor is is godly and, and preaching the word, which not all pastors are godly or preaching the word, but if if he is, yeah, they can get saved through that easily. Yeah, I believe this. This is what I believe. Boom. 
So we got to cover baptisms in the doctrine yep. series this year? Yep. Yeah. Do you have to get up in front of the church? Yeah. No, so he spoke in, in yep. like, yep. he went in front of each one of us, and we were with, like, either our godparents or our sponsors yeah. or something like that, and he, you know, said, do you believe this, this, and this, and this, and this? I believe. Yeah. Do you believe mm-hmm. this, 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 and this, and yeah. this? Yes, I believe. Do you, sponsors, do you, you know, and I don't remember what he said to them. I don't know. I've been a funny conversation because he mostly stepped at. Hi. Hi. Do you discuss in this? Yes, I do. I don't know. Otherwise, the rest of my family was in the so I didn't have them. But I had people in the church. Mm-hmm. All right, verse 16. Therefore, not let no one pass judgment on, on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festivals, new moon, or Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship. Of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensual mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So, bottom line, is it wrong to have a new moon festival? No. But is it the new moon festival that saves you? No. Can you eat certain foods or not eat certain foods? Absolutely, either way. Whatever is fine for you, but don't let somebody else tell you this is how you need to live your life outwardly. It has to be lived inwardly first. And if it's lived inwardly first, the real fruit of the Spirit will come to the fruition. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, blah, 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 blah. That's what what it's all about. So Christians can keep a kosher diet or not keep a kosher diet. They can observe Sabbath or or not observe Sabbath. Paul says it doesn't matter. Do either. Do whatever you want. But just know that the, that the heart of it is Jesus Christ. So, verse 20. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I think it was Jesus, if I remember right, said, you know, what is it with food? It goes in one end and goes out the other. That, that isn't what makes a person holy. One kind of food, not a certain kind of food, whatever. Same thing Paul is saying here. What it's about is knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing God. If we get, you keep that center point of our lives, we are going to be just fine. Thoughts? Questions? Questions? Jesus is the answer to all mysteries. I'm a big book. take fun out of the Scooby Doo shows. <laughs> Lockdown sponsor was a dinosaur. No, dragon. Yeah, dinosaur. 
Hallelujah. Not bad. We got through a whole meeting and only had to talk about Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster once. That's not bad. <laughs> and we saved it till the very end. Greg could actually cut it off if he so desires. Yes, absolutely. Father, we do thank you for this day and thank you for life and life more abundantly. Thank you for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for the mystery of, the, of your love for us and you being the fullness of God in us, dwelling in us even. And we thank you for it. Lord, you are God, and we are so overjoyed to be counted among your family. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.